This is a Quizable Cast, episode 36B, Chicago Open 2008 Movies Tournament, round two. A 1965 musical about this was made by Li Cao and features the scholar Chang Chen, reprieved by the goddess of mercy. Ted Dutmakarachinsky made a film about this of Warsaw, and a middle-aged Bostonian on vacation in the Caribbean takes this home, with him in a movie about Mr. Peabody and this. George Melies made a film about this, in which a man pulls rabbits and fish from his top hat standing outside an empty aquarium. The antibody Marion Bergano is discovered to be the person claiming to be Julie Roussel, who cleaned out Louis Mahi's bank account in, Francois, in a Francois Truffaut film about the Mississippi version of this. Annette Kellerman, the Australian swimming champion, is played by water ballet extraordinaire Esther Williams in the million dollar type of this. Baby? Uh, no. Alan Bauer meets one named Madison after a boating accident in Splash. Uh, big one. Uh, it's the million dollar lady. No, you're a negative one. No, you get next. No, only one person. Only person. Only only the first. Only the first person gets a negative. No, they no, 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 that's not how it works. No, if you buzz in before the question is over, you get a negative. Yeah. No matter what order you buzz. Yeah. And that's why he. That's why Ray was. Yeah. That's how we did it. Yeah. found by a nasty kid, he relates how he peeked into a phone booth in which a man is angry with a recent breakup and picked up the pieces of a photo of Barna Riaz with whom he fell in love. He relates how he met a woman called Peggy Proper and how he always demands a handkerchief and never blows his nose on tissue paper in his novel Love and Other Troubles. He only dates girls two heads taller than him and investigates both Fabian Tabar in Stolen Kisses and his mom's lover Lucien in Love on the Run. He has an affair with Colette Katsi in Love at 20 and he famously lied about his mother's death, stole a typewriter, and escaped from, re- from reform school. Three. One of his films ends with a windstorm that sweeps the British army from the land and deals with the Mongolian pelts trader Bear, who claims to be an heir of Genghis Khan. In another of his films, a farm boy is shot from high angle as he enters the city to show his insignificance, and military leaders are shot in a scene without their heads in an effort to deflate war. A Simple Case and Chess Fever are films by this director, who showed a defense attorney being replaced by a drinker with hiccups in his best-known film, which also includes a camera shot through a gun showing Pablo making, ice, making across icebergs to a bridge. In addition to the aforementioned storm over Asia and the end of St. Petersburg, he investigated Pavlovian conditioning in the film Mechanics of the Brain. Ten points, famous director best known for focusing on the individual human element in montage and showing the slaughter of workers using 13... B3. Einstein. Using 13 ex- successive shots in the Maxim Gorky inspired revolutionary film Mother. C4. I don't know, Bergman? C3. Kowski. Nope. Kind of. Celebrate Dolphin. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the bottom bracket, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. No, nobody here has any concept of who that person is. <laughs> Claims that titular that the titular time is mine to take, mine to give, mine to live in a song about yesterday. And another character later explains that today you're acting like tomorrow before setting up a date with Sophie. 
A performance is given at Cafe Ruse featuring dancers dancing to the lyrics, I'm like an ocean wave that's bumped on the shore. I feel so absolutely stumped on the floor. Featuring Hawk and Tonka singing, I won't dance. After a mini passes away, Stephanie distills the imaginative ideas of Huckleberry Haynes into a line that shows off in a finale that features the song Lovely to Look At. More famously, a character arrived as a Russian princess singing, I, of course, replied to something here inside cannot be denied. Fan point. Named as Sarah Rogers Musical with Irene Dunn famously singing Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. Named for a female fashion designer. C4. What's her name? Uh, Answer? No, I can't think of what this is. Louis Vuitton? No. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> That's comically not even physically possible. Versace. No. C2. Chanel. No. We want to go last yes? You want Coco. Roberta. Oh. Yeah. Roberta Versace. Yeah, Roberta Versace. Roberta Versace. Her future husband tries to do the crossword puzzle in a Chinese newspaper, and she later sends him a gift with a message. To err is human, to forgive divine. She wears black to Father William J. and Aunt Ellen Whitcomb's wedding, realizing she hasn't been a good wife. She hoped that her husband would kiss her goodbye and came to his apartment to cook his favorite waffle using Carol Gibson's Housewives cookbook and recalls her wedding in which Dr. Lubbock and Pinky Peters showed up to tell boxing stories to the clamor of her husband, the sports columnist Sam Craig. Ten points in this titular multilingual political commentator of the New York Chronicle, a female award winner and subject of the first film parents Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> oh gosh. One before. Time, that is Woman of the Year or Test Party. Oh. I should be on Man of the Year. Okay. The protagonist of this film invites his love interest to watch Kung Fu, and later he explains the process he utilizes as the way they do it in Superman 3. Fuck, fuck. V1. Peter. Uh, From no, Office Space. Yeah. 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 I'll give it to you. God damn it, why didn't I buzz there? Like, that was Kung Fu. That was Power Ice. Yeah, that was. That was terrible. I mean, Power didn't last long after after that. One character in this film asks the driver whether he's in a film or in real life. A fish is stuck into a real person so that she may be cooked in this film, which is found by a black guy and an Arab guy in a trash can and self proclaimed a film lost in the cosmos. One character calls it a rotten film because all he meets are crazy people. A long shot of a pianist burning, bringing Mozart's music to workers and farmhands is memorable, but more famously, a car haunts are used to mimic the incomprehension of human speech. Phonographs, cannabis rituals, traffic jams, and random interrupting placards abound in 10 points. This film following Roland and Corinne's drive to Weeville to murder the wife's mother during a short vacation by Jean-Luc Godard. B3. Weekend. In one of his films, and once a man thinks he made it home safely, the entire room starts to dance, and his, and his hallucinations for pouring ale down his gut are revisited. Another of his films was released in two versions, one of which shows the scene from inside and outside the house separately in time, violating the continuity of the story in order to circumvent copyright laws. He made forgettable works like Russia, the Land of Oppression, and Where Is My Wandering Boy Tonight in the Middle of His Career, but he's better known for an aforementioned film about a drunkard based on Windsor McKay's comic strip, Dream of a Rare Bit Friend, theme. The other aforementioned work pioneered the mind screen and contains a famous pan shot of a truck moving towards the house to be rescued and is entitled Life of an American Fireman. Also known for a work that cuts back to the telegraph office after a crime is already committed for 10 points, name is the director that showed an outlaw pointing a gun at the viewer in the great train robbery. C4. Johnson? Nope. B2. Edison? Nope. C3. 
behind that's Edwin S. Porter. It's section 3F states that everything possible in a play is not possible in film, and because the screen story is brought closer to the audience than the play, the larger the audience, the lower the moral mass resistance to suggestion. It's briefest section, section 10, notes, notes that the rights, history, and feelings of any nation are entitled to most careful consideration and respectful treatment. Colin Motion Pictures is the most powerful force for the improvement of mankind. It was written partially in response to a pronouncement of Barbara Lamar as the girl too beautiful to live, as well as the death of Virginia Rapp caused by an exploding bladder. It altered the role of Maureen O'Sullivan's bond up B3. Hayes Code? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so it's what is this? Hayes Code. Hayes was the postmaster general put in uh, basically the first rules for oh, morals. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Series of industrial standards governing Hollywood censorship. Yeah. yeah. One relationship barely touched on in this film is that of Granis, the proprietor of Modern Dog Hospital, and Anastasia Baker, who is the confidant of a character later killed by a drunkman named Zerkow, who never appears in the film. Popper and Mommer prepare for a feast in one scene in this film that features the music of Mendelssohn playing inside the house while a funeral taking place outside gets the attention of the camera. It begins with a quote espousing the telling of truth as conceived by Mathis and Farnham, who also did away with the change in living quarters and conditions as the protagonist moved from place to place, ending up at the old dwelling of Maria Macapa, whose hoarding has conceived by the, as conceived by the director is mistakenly applied to the female protagonist. John Hirschholt was hospitalized after filming in Death Valley, and a pair of parrots are superimposed on Trina Siep's play with a bunch of gold. B3. Green. Yeah. Uh. <coughs> 2-0 color toss-ups so far. <laughs> All right. <coughs> this term derives from a series of cheap paperbacks printed by Mondadori Publishing House beginning in 1929. Pioneered as the film genre by 1963's The Girl Who Knew Too Much and 1964's Blood and Black Lace, as well as the animal trilogy of The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, The Cat on Nine Tails, and Four Flies on Grey Velvet, it usually features American stars, luridly colorful cinematography, and a series of drown-up murders, usually of scantily dressed women, by a black C1. Giam. Yes. What is it? What's that? It's like Italian horror film. Okay. Culturally specific genre. Speak American. There's my tosses on cats and dogs. Why not? You're treating like things made after 1970 like a trash distribution in this tournament. A writer gets trapped in a cup of tea. A woodcutter stranded during a blizzard meets the terrifyingly beautiful snow spirit Yuki, Yuki Ona. Just as in Getsu, a man who unwisely divorces his faithful wife returns to her years later, only to discover that she is now a ghost. In the third and longest installment, a blind Biwa player who performs the tale of the Heike at the grave of the Emperor Antoku is protected by having a Buddhist sutra painted on his body, but the neglect of one set of organs leads to his new name, Hoichi the Earless, based on four tales collected by Greek-born Irishman Lafcadio Hearn. This is, for 10 points, what 1964 Masaki Kobayashi directed Japanese horror classic? C3. Uh, the Ring. C4. Japanese Frankenstein. No, a big one. Ghost story. No. Times. Qui-Gon. 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 The titular figure in this film states that we must declare war on Rawhide and Bonanza. Filmed at Chez Panisse and the UC Theater in Berkeley, California, it was directed by Les Blank, who later profiled that subject at Graver Land in The Burden of Dreams, a film about the making of Fitzcarraldo. 
The backstory is that in order to encourage an inspiring filmmaker to finish his documentary about pet cemeteries, Gates of Heaven, the title figure pledged to perform the title action at its premiere. Ten Points named this literally, literally named documentary in which the famously eccentric German director of Aguirre, The Bath of God, proves to Errol Morris what a good sport he is by consuming an item of clothing. B2. Werner Herzog eats his shoe? Indeed. Very nice, dude. I was convinced I'd be eat his hat. When was that made? Yeah. I'm pretty recent about it. It's like the mid 90s, really. Yeah, the last couple years. Okay, Ray is a strict Calvinist. This man did not see a movie until the age of 16. He authored the first major article published in the West about the Japanese gangster film, as well as a famous critical study of transcendental style in the films of Ozu, Dreyer, and Bresson. He broke from his mentor, Pauline Kael, when he abandoned criticism and wrote what was at the time the most expensive screenplay ever sold, the Yakuza. His interest in Japan can also be seen in Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, while John Ford's The Searchers inspired both his own film, Hardcore, and his screenplay for a 1976 movie about a New York vigilante. Ten points, name is director of Blue Collar, American Gigolo, Affliction, an autofocus who scripted Martian Scorsese's Raging Bull. Yeah. Be great. Schrader. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Boyle appears in this film as the owner of a shooting range. The director got Paramount to agree to reimburse the $800,000 budget by dubiously claiming that he was making a film about a boy raising pigeons. One scene involving an extended pan around the kitchen only makes sense when we realize that it is dramatizing the assassination of Robert Kennedy. More famously, the lead actress risked her life in order to obtain footage of her in a bright yellow dress in the midst of real-life riots, ending with a sudden car crash followed by a slow zoom into its writer product. Be free. Medium cool. Yeah. Dark Conjure of Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire pseudo-fame is the daughter of this movie's female lead, Susan Harrison, the first Hollywood film of its Scottish director who put up that point to who put up to that point had only been known for the English, for the Ealing comedies, The Lady Killers and The Man in the White Suit. It is remembered today for crackling dialogue with a line describing one character as a cookie full of arsenic. Based on a novel by Ernest Lehman and co-scripted by Clifford Odets, it features a fascinating antagonist modeled on powerful gossip columnist Walter Winchell. Sidney Falco breaks up the relationship between a jazz musician and the sister of J.J. Hunsaker in for 10 points, what classic 1957 drama starring Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster. Sweet smells success, yeah. Sporium, get out of the bottom bracket. Why, dude? He's like only getting things no one else has ever heard of. I'm kidding. It doesn't really matter to me. Sitcom fans know this man as Stephanie Vander Kellen's father on Newhart. In 1952, he won two Tony Awards, one for directing three plays and one for best actor for The Shrike, which he later directed himself in a film version of. Though he was not French, all three of his Oscar nominations came for playing real-life Frenchmen, including Charles VII in Joan of Arc and Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec in Moulin Rouge. Other notable roles include Barney Greenwald in The King Mutiny and a sodomizing Turk in Lords of Arabia, but his only Oscar came for a character that had already won a 1947 Tony for portraying in a play by Edmund Ross Gallen. For 10 points, named his first Latino to win the Academy Award for Best Actor, the Puerto Rican star of the 1950s, Sierra de Bergerac. Time, Jose Ferrer. Yeah. He's famous. Uh, okay. 
this woman played an imprisoned Nazi opposite Lawrence Olivier in The Boys from Brazil. Winner of 20 awards for The Country Girl and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, she received racist de death threats for a controversial performance as Desdemona opposite Jose Ferrero's Iago and Paul Robeson's Othello, done while she was wed to the former and having an affair with the latter. After marrying Herbert Berghoff in 1957, she spent the rest of her life teaching at his HB studio. In 1991, a challenge for the actor, she backed away from the endorsement of substitution in her most famous book, for 10 points, named this legendary acting teacher and author of the still-used 1973 textbook, Respect for Acting. C4. Smith. <laughs> One. Jim. C2. Johnson. My you name. Have a Lakeman. Utah Hagen. Oh, just guess two. That's two. In 2007, John DeMole announced plans to relaunch this company. Created in 1934, it took its name from the stage moniker of founder William Hines. After a 1937 bankruptcy, it's in 1946, it was resurrected by James Carreras, son of Hines' business partner, and its first hit was 1955, The Quarter, the quarter Mass Experiment. It ceased film production following the failed 1979 remake of Hitchcock's The Lady Vector. C1. It's like hammer. Yeah. Good job. Good job. He's not agent 86, but this man does have an associate named Larrabee who was played by an actor from Get Smart. It has been theorized that his last name is a reference to Jesus and his middle initial symbolizing the emptiness at the center of his life. The title of the movie he appears in may be a reference to the airline on which he flies out of Chicago or to the way he feigns madness at an art auction. The film's final shot, a train entering a tunnel, indicates that he and Eve Kendall have gotten busy. Ten. C2. Oh, uh, Thornhill. Yes. Right. Yeah. From uh, North by Northwest. I like how they didn't actually have anything about the movie. Nope. I mean, like, that would have been cool, but... Get everything. In his last appearance, it is revealed that this character has had plastic surgery and now looks exactly like Roger Moore. Alan Arkin portrayed him in 1968 in a 1993 film revealed that he fathered twin children, played by Nicoletta Brasci and Roberto Benigni, with former paramour Maria Gambrelli. In his first appearance, he ends up in jail after being framed by his unfaithful wife, the lover of Sir Charles Lytton. Give me ten men like him and I can destroy the world. Is it C1? That's Inspector Clouseau. Mm -hmm. His town looks like Roger Moore. How about that? Patrick McGowan has a small role in this film as an MP who pets a dog. That dog's racially insensitive name was excised from the US version. Like B3. I'll take that. <laughs> okay. Come on, let us know what you were uh, thinking. Come on, Chris, come on. I actually thought it was White Dog and the Christopher Pickle thing. I was like, wait, that's a title. Like the Great Escape, it is based on a non-fiction book by Paul Brickhill, in this case about Operation Chastise. In the first half, Michael Redgrave plays inventor Barnes Wallace, who struggles to perfect a bouncing bomb. The second half sees Richard Todd as Wing Commander Guy Gibson lead his men on a dangerous mission over the Ruhr Valley that requires dropping said bombs at exactly the right altitude. The targeting system he uses, two overlapping circles, was one of many things ripped off by George Lucas from, for 10 points, what classic 1955 British World War II film that inspired the trench run sequence in Star Wars? C4. I don't know. Bridge over the river, probably. Um, <laughs> a war movie. C1. Uh, classic bomb. No. Everything's classic. Ty, that's the damn busters. No, no that's a snow bunker. Yeah. I named this classic. Do you want to count how many times classic comes up? Whatever. I mean, 
It's much going. easier to count how many times something made after like 1980 has come up, and it's once. <laughs> <laughs> the name of Indiana Jones' sidekick, Short Round, comes from a film directed by this man. Another of his movies can be seen in a creepy doctor's office in Minority Report. A reporter who checks into a mental hospital for a story ends up insane for real in his shock corridor. B3. Sandy Fuller. Uh, yeah. Fuller. Just friends. Just Miss Power. What's this guy? Sam Fuller uh, directed, you know, a lot of... Also, the, the fifth to last word was classic. <laughs> this movie was Carrie Snodgrass's return to acting eight years after she was Oscar nominated for Diary of a Mad Housewife. The star of the director's earlier film, Phantom of the Paradise, William Finley, appears as a man who creepily spies on the main character and her friend while they are eating ice cream and wearing bikinis. Dennis Franz plays, what else, a cop, and in one scene, the protagonist makes a model train fly off the rails using just her mind. Another plot line deals with Peter Sanza's quest for revenge against the one-armed man who kidnapped his son. Climaxing with a memorable final scene in which John Cassavetes is exploded by Army Amy Irving. This is 10 points. What 1978 Brian De Palma throws? Three. Scanners. Nice. Starring Kirk Douglas. Speed one. The Fury. Yeah. That's yeah. what that is. That's what it is. Yeah. Almost 1980s. I was like, don't say the rage. Don't say Carrie too. The rage. <laughs> One character in this film quips, we have an old saying in my country, and you're full of it. At that end, the villain leaves Morocco in a diplomatic bag. The first 20 minutes are a faithful adaptation of the short story it is based on, but it then diverges with scenes like a thrilling escape from East Germany on a cello case and a romantic interlude cut Vienna's reason rod Ferris wheel. Climbing with the apparent, climaxing with the apparent assassination of Leonid Pushkin in a battle between Mujahideen and Afghani drug dealers, this is for 10 points, what 1987 film was first to start Timothy Dalton as James Bond? C4. This is. Diamonds are Forever? No. Fuck, what's this? C1. License to Kill. Uh, no. C1. Okay. Never mind, that's what I was going to say. C3. Thunderball. Nope. B3. Goldline. The Living Daylights. Ooh, that was pretty oh, terrible. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Not converting that was. Also noted film that happened after 1980. This film opens with Matt Monroe singing on days like these as Beckerman gets killed. Lyricist Don Black used a ton of Cockney slang in writing Get a Bloom and Move On, aka the Self-Preservation Society. One character is named Camp Freddy, and in the last scene the protagonist has a great idea, but we never find out what it is. Ironically, this film is remembered today chiefly for the works of two non-Britishers, Quincy Jones and Remy Julien. Featuring a line voted by UK movie fans in 2003, the most memorable in cinema history, you were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off, this is pretend secret. Oh, uh, that's what I Never mind. Sorry. No, it's the guns are never on. correct. This is Ben Foyt's what movie whose amazing car stunt started the Mini Cooper craze in 1969. <laughs> B3. The Italian Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Damn it, damn it, damn it. That's what I knew that from. The protagonist of this film dubs Joan Crawford's lines in Johnny Guitar and portrays the mother of a serial killer in commercials for laundry detergent. Prominent supporting characters include a Jehovah's Witness and a Mambo-loving taxi driver. At the climax, the heroine foils a hijacking plot by Shiite carrots and saves Ivan's life by hitting Lucia with a, with a luggage cart. She then returns home to an apartment filled with people passed out from drinking spiked Gus Freckle. Featuring a young Antonio Banderas as Carlos and starring Carmen Maura as Pepa, this is, for 10 points, what wacky 1988 Spanish comedy that was a breakthrough film for director Pedro Almodovar? B3. Women on the verge of an earthquake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> 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 what? Yeah, Max is saying, you don't want to go like women on the verge of an earthquake. 
Yeah. Walden O. Watson, Richard J. Stumpf, and Howard J. Leonard won an Oscar for this invention, which, according to Wikipedia, generated a pseudo-random noise between 5 and 40 hertz at pressures of 110 to 120 decibels. The last film to use it was a theatrical version of The Saga of a Star World, the Battlestar Galactica pilot, and it was also employed by Midway and Roller Coaster. Exhibitors complained about the impossibility of showing other movies at the same time as was made with this system, but the greater concern was that it knocked plaster from the ceilings of many theaters, thus making the experience a bit too real. Ten points, named this literally, literally groundbreaking sonic technique that was first heard in the 1974 film Earthquake. C4. Tremor vision. <laughs> what the fuck is this? C3. Uh, seismo font. No. B2. Boom. No. <laughs> this is sense around. Oh, yeah. I was hoping this was going to vision. We, yeah, we couldn't go that route. Huh. Yeah, actually, <laughs> that's probably worth checking. What? Whether or not Chris has won yet. Whether oh, no. Chris is out yet. How many toss ups you left? I mean, I have oh, toss ups left, and you have six points, and then next person three. So. <laughs> Presum oh, okay. Presumably not. <laughs> wow, that's, that's surprising. Like, how do you get knocked out? I feel you have like 15 or something. No, you only get knocked out when you win a different set of goals. All right, let's You'll be out. Yeah, so. As long as it's clear to me. Two sequences cut from this film were titled The Dreadful Business of the Naked Honeymooners and The Curious Case of the Upside Down Room. Like Olivier's Hamlet, it features Stanley Holloway as a gravedigger. In one scene, the main character implies that he and his best friend are a gay couple, leading several male ballet dancers to flirt with that friend. At the end, Queen Victoria orders the destruction of a submarine, and Gabriel Valadon is exposed to the German spy, while the depressed protagonist comforts himself with a Stradivarius violin and a 7% solution of cocaine. C1. The... the the private life of Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Yeah, that, nice. yeah, that makes sense. Several guest stars, including James Spader and Helen Hunt, appear in this movie as newscasters. In the final scene, Terry Manchester visits the Jefferson Memorial after learning about the death of Bugs Rapplin. Based on a Saturday Night Live sketch that aired on December 13, 1986, it contains many references to Bob Dylan, including a music video spoofing subterranean homesick blues and a song titled Times Are Changing Back. With the help of a creepy advisor played by Alan Rickman and charming words of wisdom like, Don't do crack, it's a ghetto drug, but have a character that beats a liberal senator played by Gore Vidal. For 10 points, his name is 1992 satire about an C1. Oh, Roberts? Yeah. Yo, Dick Powell Jr. has a cameo as his father in this film, and legendary B-movie filmmaker William Castle plays the director. Reuniting the writer, producer, and director of Midnight Cowboy, it isn't Don't Look Now, but it does feature an enormously disturbing climax involving Donald Sutherland and a person of short stature. C1. Invasion of the Body Snatcher. Nag. Oh, come on. Um, Burgess Meredith got an Oscar nomination as a salesman whose death is mocked by an androgynous child played by Jackie Earl Haley. That child also taunts Homer Simpson, no, not that one, who finally snaps and stomps him to death, only to be torn to shreds by a riot. What the fuck? C4. It's like Day of the Locust. Yeah. What's going on? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting that. That is Homer Simpson. <laughs> I thought, like, there was a pause and I'm like, wait, is this not asking for Day of the Locust? Yeah, I can't remember what's going on. Did they make a movie out of that? I don't know. Everybody waits after Homer Simpson. Yeah, I don't. This is the exact same thing <laughs> happening to everyone. Okay. Das Boot Jurgen Pocknow cameos in this film in The Nightmare of a Character played by David Bowie. 
Beginning with Chet Desmond's disappearance while investigating the murder of Teresa Banks, it climaxes with Ronette Pulaski escaping as another character. C3. Firewalk with me. Yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah Teresa Banks. Yeah. Is that two? That's one. Oh, wow. They said Teresa Banks. I mean, that's... Okay. Like, I, mean, wow. I mean, power went all the way up to Ronette Pulaski. Hmm. All right. Hmm. I mean, I like if you... No, it's a movie, Twin Peaks. This man's films can be purchased through his website, Zippera.com, but they are far from commercial. 1989's Year of Death is six hours long, and his most recent movie chronicles the Idaho State Legislature. His films tend to have short and direct titles describing exactly what they are about. Examples include 1985's Racetrack, 1989's Central Park, and 1995's Ballet. His 1967 debut feature dealt with a Massachusetts mental hospital and was banned from public exhibition until 1991. For 10 points, and is director of Titicut Follies and pioneer of direct cinema, best known for two documentaries that made it onto the National Film Registry, 1968's High School and 1970's Hospital. C4. I'm just going to pretend these are like weird early works of Ken Burns. No. <laughs> That's what I would have said. He's only like 40. I know. That is Frederick Wiseman. Really early works of Ken Burns. Of course. When asked what he does best, this character responds, I can't do that here. That's why they put me away. He later exclaimed, one and one's two, two and two's four. I feel so bad because I'm losing the war. His most famous song, written by Herba Harding and Norman Blagman, complains about his unappreciative landlord, his encounter with a violent policeman, and the fact that his girlfriend is in a garbage can before climaxing with the proclamations, hey world, you stink. And if everybody in the world today had a flower instead of a gun, there would be no wars. There would be one big smelling. Portrayed by Dick Shaw, this is pretend. B1. It's LSD. Yeah. From Lorenzo Saint-Dubois. Yeah. From, from what? Producers. Oh, okay. The guy who plays Hitler. Yeah. I see. Oh! Oh, big smelling, man! It was Germany! That's not a big man. This man first gained notice portraying the Arab houseboy Bashir in a stage adaptation of Andre Gide's The Immoralist. He had just one line. That guy's a professional, playing a boxing trainer in the Dean Martin Jerry Lewis comedy, Sailor's Beware. A more prominent role also has the rival of Dick Benedict. His two most famous characters have last names that are anagrams of each other. One of those characters struggles against his father Adam and discovers that his mother runs a brothel, while the other fails to save Plato from the police and shouts, You're tearing me apart at his parents. Ten point. Name this twice posthumously Oscar nominated actor who's. B1. Dean. Yep. Uh, James Dean. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Why are they anagrams of each other? What's the name of the guy from Rolling Out of Thoughts? Dean James. Oh, okay. He played a simple-minded milkman who became a boxing champion and a shoe clerk who pretended to be a millionaire in the Milky Way and feet first. In one of his roles as a doctor, he gets so little patience that his phone gathers cobwebs, and he gets drunk with another doctor at a laboratory before walking slowly through the street, through the street to a hotel where he chases after the sleepwalking Mildred Davis. He plays a speedy lamb, a friend of Peggy's at Tate University, who tries to gain popularity by trying out for football in The Freshman. Also playing a Kansas boy who wants to be a star in a movie crazy, he is best known for wearing big glasses and scaling skyscrapers. Okay, okay. B3. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> One character in this film is unsure whether the father of her child is a soldier from Florence or another soldier from Naples. Another character makes the third floor of San Martino della Battaglia his home, worked for 30 years at the Ministry of Public Affairs, and goes by the last name of Ferrari. He tries to sell his watch to Orazio Valenti and borrow money from 
Battistini so that he can pay his rent because his landlady Elena is marrying the manager Paolo so she can get into the movies for free. But he ends up leaving with his dog Flag whom he tries to give away to Daniela. Almost committing suicide on the train tracks for 10 points, named this senior citizen the titled neorealist character of the last major film of Vittoria De Sica. P3. Last. High school game. Uh, no, Grandfather. No. How many Tesla's left? D1. Poppy. Uh, Umberto D and three toss-ups left. So we'll keep reading for everyone. He made a film in which Benjamin and Wanzer take John to Tolson Castle to threaten him with ghosts in order to confess his role in the murder of Aunt Josephine. He made another film in which Miss Warwick provides funds for Reverend Jacob's Piney Woods School, and the woman that raised that money, Sylvia Landry, is found to be a daughter of the man who tries to rape her, Girdlestone. In, Gr in, in between making the aforementioned lying lips and within our gates, he dressed up B. Freeman in his showgirl dance scenes, which he tried to employ in most of his movies, and cast Lorenzo Tucker as his heroes dubbed his Rudolph Valentino. He made his first novel, The Conquest, into the talkie, The Exile, and more famously employed Paul Robeson in the role of a phony creature. Ten points, name is author and director of Body and Soul, the first great African-American filmmaker. Answer, please. No answer. Oscar Michaud. Okay, everyone, question second to last. And Chris, that means you're out. And everyone else is still alive. When one character in this film remarks that his enemy gave his word, for another character interrupts that it's you, it's who you give it to, noting that the common enemy was working for Pat Harrigan in fear of going to jail again. At the end, Coffer, TC, and the rest of the vultures don't go far, and that previously they referenced enemy joins Freddy and the pure Indios, though it ain't like it used to be. Perhaps because Teresa was shot by Angel, Generalissimo Machepa cuts his throat, prompting the Gort brothers and Dutch Engstrom to go berserk, killing hundreds of Guerta's men with a machine gun before being killed in Agua Verde. The titular group steals arms on a railroad while Deke Thornton and his bounty hunters pursue. Ten points from Miss Sam Peckinpah film about Pike Bishop, the leader of a crazy gang of ex-soldiers. B1. Congratulations, you are now out. Yay. Yeah, that is, that is what that is. It's like Peckinpah, the only movie I've seen. And the last awesome. The protagonist of this film would, oh, sorry. would rather get wet inside a bookstore when it rains and ask the proprietress about non-existing versions of Chevalier of Audubon, 1840, and Ben-Hur, 1860. Claiming to be Doghouse Riley, the hero resolves to tell pretty much the truth at the end, having killed Canino and allowed Mars to walk out the door to be killed by his own men. Speaking of front-running versus coming come from behind horses, Vivian quips that how far she can go depends on who's in the saddle. Agnes reveals the location of Mona Mars, who has been hiding the act as if Sean Reagan took her away, concealing his death at the hands of Carmen Sternwood. Trent Boyd, it was Howard Hawke's film starring Lauren Bacall as Vivian Rutledge and Humphrey Bogart as Philip Marlowe, based on a Raymond Chandler novel. Oh, see you. Uh, next week? Yep. Watch the Fred Moreland? I still haven't seen it.